0: In these one-on-ones, we are constantly watching for problems to arise. Things that are becoming pain points will probably further down the line become a bottleneck for your production. I mean, it's just the way the beast grows. Hi,
1: I'm Neil Vigne, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development, one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya, and today my guest is Eric Velasik. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Eric, looking forward to digging into all things leadership and your role. But first, let's find out about where you
0: are working today and what role you're in. All right. So I am the senior director of engineering at a company called Notto. We specialize in predictive AI for drivers. We have a smart dash cam that helps eliminate traffic accidents, generally ones that are caused by human behavior rather than situational circumstances.
1: That's really fascinating. Can you share an example of what is a what is a predictable thing as opposed to just an accident?
0: Okay, so basically we can predict when you start to get drowsy. As you become more and more sleepy, you display a different type of behavior. Your your breaths are bigger, your eyes move differently. We alert the drivers that they're drowsy and then prevent, you know, somebody falling asleep at the wheel, which is generally a very bad accident to be in. That's a very destructive accident because you you have basically no input any longer from drivers, So there's no braking, there's no gas, there's no evasive maneuvers. So it's a very dangerous accident. We also look at other factors like, am I distracted? Am I tailgating? Am I eliciting other dangerous behavior? And then the auto device alerts you.
1: And so how does the device alert you? Is it an auditory thing or a... All auditory, yeah. all auditory,
0: yeah. All auditory. It's All okay. auditory. At first, there's just a few, you know, dings or whistles or whatever. And then there is some audio.
1: There's one of those like five alarm fire alarms on cell phones, you know, where you can't not hear it.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We progressively, as the behavior persists or the behavior becomes more and more dangerous, we alert more and more. Wow. Interesting. The sensory input, does that all come from the camera? It all comes from the camera. Nothing is tied into the car at the moment. We have an IMU. So basically your gyroscope accelerometer on the device, and that's added and fused in with your video stream. So a video stream looking out, video stream looking in, we combine all that with AI and machine learning to determine how risky your driving is. And then, you know, as you become more and more risky, we alert to what things are causing that risk to increase.
1: Wow. That's absolutely fascinating. Thankful that you and the Naoto team are putting that together to help make people safer on the road that is super cool before we get into your role today and kind of what you're responsible for let's go back in time and talk a little bit about how you got into your first leadership position and usually when I'm talking leadership position i mean technical technically responsible for other people transitioning from an individual contributor to a people leader
0: like all managers it was mostly by accident i didn't intend to become a people manager or a team manager I'm very technical. I generally stay on the technical track. However, one of the businesses I was working with prior, the manager left, <laughs> and also there was not a strong recruiting core, so there was no intermediate manager. The role wasn't being filled. After a couple of weeks, there was no movement from my manager, so I just kind of started doing the things my old manager did. I, you know, did the things that I liked the best and I thought were the most effective at like getting me involved with the project, getting the information I needed to, to perform well. As the role stayed vacant longer and longer, I started changing some some things to fit my what I thought was better. Also to fit the, the changes at the time. You know, this was pre-iPhone, then the iPhone came out. The technology started changing around how people experience, you know, web interconnectivity. So I started to actually, you know, apply some different some different thought around, you know, these changing technologies and adapted my my management style at that point to to fit those needs. And again, the team was very small. It was uh, only four people. So if I messed up so bad, it wasn't that big a deal. It's only four people. It wasn't like I was driving a whole engineering org into the ground. So it gave me some room to experiment. I also didn't have the title. So if I messed up horribly, it wasn't that big a deal. I was like, oh, well, that wasn't really my job. I don't, you know, so it gave me some room to experiment. It gave me some room to grow. That's my first management gig. Yeah, I eventually became the team manager, a team lead. And then, you know, from there, it's just kind of gone upward.
1: That's an awesome story. I love the fact that you said, well, you know, you weren't planning on it, number one, and it wasn't even an overnight thing, right? You just slowly started taking on more pieces and started transitioning to things you had seen done, but also then things that you thought would be beneficial to you and the team as well. You hit on a couple of key points, which I think are important, regardless of what role you're in, is the freedom to take risks. Right. At this point, you said, well, it wasn't my role anyways. And I think anybody like if you're stretching and doing the role, the next role beyond you, that's a great mindset to have. It's like, hey, this is not my role anyways, but I'm going to take a stab at it. Maybe it will succeed. Maybe it won't. But I'm going to take a swing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The freedom to fail is I mean, that's one thing I've carried on through my career and a lot other folks experience in the team is that like no matter how much you try to talk to somebody, they have to see the limits of what can happen in their own daily routine their own daily tasks things aren't going to always work out as you plan somebody's going to quit some something's going to happen that you're going to have to learn how to deal with and you can sure you can read it in a book i've read a million management books now but experience is a, it's a very different thing than just reading about it in a book i mean you can read the same sentence a million times and it's like okay okay but then when you experience it You're like, oh, okay. Now it's in, I've got it fully. I got the context. I've got the the inputs and the outputs and the outcomes. And you know, where was that thought correct and where was it incorrect? You know, you you just yeah.
1: The freedom to fail mindset is a is a critical one and is very powerful, but can also be a little challenging if you're not just in that mindset already. So, you know, you might be in an environment where Failing isn't exactly celebrated. There are some organizations where that's not the case. You fail and you get, you know you get the end result, which is not ultimately growth. And it's not what you hope for. So.
0: Yeah. But that it gives you the opportunity to work on different skills, right? That gives you the opportunity to work on your soft skills. And okay, so failure isn't always looked on highly. You know, I'm at a small startup. And if somebody fails with a $10 million budget, that's a huge problem. I mean, that, that could risk the company. So yes, your failures have to be mitigated. You have to have a little bit of leeway. And, and a lot of organizations don't understand that. And that's, that's, that's not a great place to be so if you're looking to grow your career maybe that's not a great place to grow your career
1: yeah and, and I think it's worth calling out like at least you know where you stand like if you fail and it isn't you know celebrated as growth or at least acknowledged as you tried something and did it right at least you know where you stand at least you know the culture of the organization so I'm curious how do you foster that kind of environment inside of your team today in the organization that you run how do you Give them the freedom to fail and make sure that they are comfortable and like on board with it.
0: Yeah. So basically, we start with smaller buckets of responsibility, right? So first, okay, you're only responsible for one feature or one button or whatever. But then, as you're increasing your proficiency, you know, you get bigger and bigger buckets, right? And so we do the same thing on the management side. So first, you're you're not given the ten million dollar budget; you're given maybe a quarter million dollar budget in terms of you know. Company output. First, you're you're given a team of maybe one person, and then there's a considerably amount amount of review in your decision making, your decision processing, and so that you know that you have some guidance on. You're not going to make the ten million dollar failure when you know you're you're only working with this quarter million dollar envelope. So basically, we're trying to give them a safe place to fail. So A, they can learn. B, they're not going to blow up the budget or the company. It's a little encapsulated. It's only within one team at first. And then, you know, as we get comfortable with the decision-making and the relationship grows, and, you know, that person's skills become more and more proficient, we then, you know, grow the bucket. First, it's a quarter million, it's a half million, it's a million. And some people grow faster and slower. So you have to adjust your buckets. Yeah, you're just constantly adjusting your buckets per the person. I've had... You know, 26 year old out of college at, you know, master's degree, maybe a couple of years experience. And they've grown very quickly. And we've we've gone from the quarter million dollar bucket to the million dollar bucket. in you know, you know, weeks, months, less than a year. And then other people, you know, maybe it goes a little slower. Maybe it's a, a year long process.
1: I like that you're taking an active role. In the freedom to fail, because you're controlling the environment that they can fail within in order to build the confidence that they have to continue to push the boundary at their own pace. As you noted, everybody's going to have a little bit of a different appetite for growth in the timeline and whatnot. And that's OK, but it sounds like you're enabling, regardless of you know what pace it is, you're enabling that based on giving them the constraints to operate within, see how they do and continuously increase
0: it as opposed to just throw them in the deep end. Well, some people do, and some people, that's I've fine. There. I've been there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it happens. It happens. But I just, I found that that leads to more failures than more successes over time. Like there are some people that you just throw them in the deep end. I've definitely worked with those folks. And all of a sudden, for a short while, we had a senior manager of data science, which is, you know, in our company, the, the data AI team is, is kind of the, the most valuable team. And I think he was a uh, senior manager by 28. I mean he was running several groups. He was I mean it was the core it was one of our two core competencies AI is one, data science is the other of a company that you know raised 200 million almost over over the course of our existence. so some people can do it but not it's not a general you know yeah of course there's Bill Gates and Steve Jobs they jumped into CEO role immediately succeeded immediately. And made it look easy. <laughs> Not everybody's like that. <laughs>
1: no, and we and while we can celebrate the the grand vision of what that is, the reality is everybody is, you know, has a set of strengths, they have a set of a ways, experience that they can rely on, they have progress that they will make, but it's going to be different. And I think that's a really important leadership just principle is just recognizing that there is no one perfect either path or timeline that applies to everyone. And that's some of the fun. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So when we were talking before, we were talking about bottlenecks and was wondering if you could share a little bit more detail as to the context of how bottlenecks apply to you, not just on the engineering side, but also on the leadership side.
0: So on the engineering side, generally, once you're working with multiple teams, software starts to become developed at a different cadence. AI, machine learning algorithms, they have a, a different cadence. Front end is very schizophrenic. It changes all the time. The, the teams you, you build around those—they they change constantly. Cloud is a little bit of—it's a combination of, the, of several different practices. A lot of engineering organizations—they don't build, you know, a monolithic application anymore. It's actually, you know, hundreds of applications under the hood that do multiple different things and run different scales. So, you know, you're always trying to deliver features that your customers want and enjoy. To keep these coming out, you have to kind of do a lot of planning around these different cadences and making sure that the the software production ends up with a a widget at the end of the day or the end of the month or whatever that the customer wants, but you have to line up all the pieces in the behind the scenes. That's where bottlenecks become important. If you have a bottleneck or unforeseen slowdown in say data collection, that's going to percolate all the way up to what the customer sees. And so you need to solve that problem, that bottleneck quicker than maybe something on the front end or something in the cloud. That's one of the larger problems that we that I face as an engineering leader is how do we eliminate these bottlenecks so that they don't percolate up to the customer and then that we continue to roll out features.
1: So I'm curious about the identification of bottlenecks, right? There's always, you know, consumer and user feedback and things and testing and whatnot. But what are some of the tools or the strategies that you as the leader are looking at your entire production pipeline to identify those bottlenecks, ideally before they become a big problem.
0: So we're in general using a retrospective to find bottlenecks. So we chunk out the work, we put an estimate on how long it's gonna take. Estimates never work. It gives you a baseline, right, to work from. From that baseline, we track the, t- the amount of time to, to completion. Sometimes we just, as, as engineering teams, we just drastically underestimate a feature. Other times we have things that we can't control, somebody quits a subsystem or a software that we were intending to buy you know no longer does what we need or something like that so those are fairly easy to, uh, to find right like okay somebody quits okay red flags everywhere you go to recruiting you pay all the fees to all the consultants and you and you get somebody back into that spot as quickly as possible those are the easy to see problems the other problems that kind of come up and arise is is just the technical complexity changes during the course of your development process. So in these instances, we use a retrospective. You can use any kind of meeting. You know, A lot of people use JIRA and Trulio, and you can track tickets and all that stuff. But generally, we're looking at retrospectives. What caused the complexity? And then we're constantly looking at engineering solutions to either reduce that complexity. We'll make some infrastructure changes to make sure that that complexity is no longer in the development process so it doesn't affect other people in the next planning session and and whatnot that's generally the best way to find bottlenecks other times is we have a very robust one-on-one meeting schedule you know the first question is what was the biggest pain point that you experienced in this month two week six week period we bring somebody in new one-on-ones every two weeks and as they're you know become more familiar with the company and whatnot we kind of Stretch that out. Generally, we try—we don't try to go over a month, but you know, it happens. But in these one-on-ones, we are constantly watching for problems to arise. Things that are becoming pain points will probably further down the line become a bottleneck for your production. I mean, it's just the way the beast grows. We have these end-tier systems, so breaking apart larger systems into smaller systems—if they become too complex to work with and somebody to understand immediately, because a, you don't know how much time that person has on that system. And B, you don't know how much time that person has with the company because there's this constant churn. Every, every. Most startup folks, they last two years. It's, it's very stressful. You kind of lump the stress in with the company. So you kind of, you know, people kind of burn out. It's It just happens. It's we, we try to prevent it. We do the best we can, but it, it does happen. So you don't always know how much time the person has to invest in understanding these problems. So, you know, where are you are going to make your investments and break more complicated systems into smaller systems? And, you know, with the advent of, you know, microservices, that's, that's one thing, but even those can grow very, very complex.
1: We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. parallels do you see that exist when looking at bottlenecks from a people perspective? Because I know there's plenty of bottlenecks from the technical perspective and functions and applications and things not working as expected. But how about on the people side? As not everybody's going to be performing at the top level all the time. So how do you identify or how do you take some of these principles and apply it to the people side to identify those bottlenecks?
0: Yep. So I can really describe this fairly well within the circumstances of COVID. We, as a company, decided that we were going to take mental health fairly seriously when we started noticing people becoming, I don't want to say lethargic, but there's an added amount of stress and an added amount of emotional weight of the situation kind of was starting to push on people. So when we noticed that folks were becoming stressed, we would have a extra day off, a mental health day. We would basically turn off Slack, no notifications. You know, you weren't to answer your email. There were a couple people that were, you know, customer support centric. Okay, we couldn't go completely dark for those roles. But for the other core team members, we were able to get as many people on on one of these mental health days. We amped it up prior to for the whole week. We had, you know, emails. We had photo contests who took the best photo. You know, there was prizes for people who did the most exotic thing, who did the most adventurous who did the most, you know, who got the most steps on their pedometer one time. I mean, there was all sorts of these little things and, uh, you know, and we gave a little bit of a prize away, maybe earbuds or, you know, new Apple watch or something like that. And that really got folks to unplug from the situation COVID, you know, working from home during times when it was like, okay to go outside, it got people outside. It got people moving around it broke the routine of the, the the stress inputs. That's how we helped with these, you know, personnel bottlenecks because yes, with all these other things going on, it caused, you know, caused people to slow down and it caused people to probably make more mistakes than you would
1: otherwise from being tired, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah exactly. More Less mistakes. I mean, you could definitely know, you would definitely tell that the bug counts in the couple of weeks after these uh, mental health days, we'd have almost no bugs.
1: Well, give us the range of
0: like. Say we're having a hundred every week. We were we were probably in twenty a week. <laughs> That's a huge reduction. That's four fifths less. Yeah, yeah, we had huge reductions. So when we'd watch these, and again, once we'd see the you know kind of mental indicators kind of start showing up, we'd have you know another one of these days, and
1: yeah. So the whole company participated at the same time. Is that right? Or almost the whole company. Yeah, I would say so. Would okay. Say so. so vast majority of the company was participating. know there's some roles who couldn't go completely dark, but vast majority was participating at the same time, which is great. Like everybody knows then that everybody's off and there's no, you know, guilt feeling of um, not responding. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. That was the other thing. Like nobody was taking vacation days. Like, I don't know how many co- times I had conversation with folks, please take a vacation day. And they're like, I don't, I, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And it's just like, <laughs> just don't work. <laughs> like for a walk I what don't does know what that mean <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> okay so and how often did you do these over the
0: last 18 months was this a once a quarter thing or once a month thing or what no, no definitely not no, not once a month it was it generally fell around a quarter and it generally was not in another quarter with a lot of holidays so if there was you know summer you got fourth of July you got yeah, yeah. Th- those kind of were a little light but generally the springtime fall time were generally the times we focused.
1: Yeah. But I just love the, the, that result of seeing a very clear measurement of the number of bugs reported in the week following or weeks following was 80% less than it was prior, simply because there was a mental health reset day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And very important. And, and at that point, it's like, you, you it's like how do we continue this? Like, you know, can we con- can continue this further? And it's, you know.
1: Is that, is that something you guys are talking about of like, how do we make this more consistent, not just a COVID only thing?
0: yeah, it's like, how do you take the lessons learned during COVID and apply them? You know, it's like everything else. You're going to constantly be learning some things. And how do you apply them to future problems? For sure. It's talked about pretty constantly or maybe not constantly, but, you know, regularly.
1: Well, I think it just drives home the point that regardless of level or role or company or company size, there is an awful lot of weight that we carry about our work, about what we output, about who we're held accountable to, what we're held accountable for. And for the vast majority, at least in the Western world, taking a break is pretty darn tough, right? It almost takes your company, like you were saying, telling you that everybody's shutting off. It's okay, Go on vacation. I can't tell you how many companies I've worked at and that I've worked with as well. where There's unlimited PTO. The funny thing is the least amount of PTO used is from companies who have unlimited PTO, it's the exact opposite of what you would expect.
0: Yeah, we're that we're that company, we have unlimited PTO, so um yeah. I mean, finally Christmas break, people you know, unwound, took a lot of time off, but yeah, we have unlimited PTO, but I I had several people that had less than 3 days taken off and I was just constantly telling them please take a day off, please take a day off, like hey, today looks great. It's a Friday. Make a three day weekend.
1: There you go. Right. Yeah. And it, and it, there is that, what you were saying before, like, Oh, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? You know, if it's ad hoc and you love to plan stuff, then plan it in advance, plan it a quarter in advance, plan a week off, plan your vacation at before the year starts. Right. Yep. And you'll get cheaper air flights, right? 100%. And even if you have no intention of going anywhere because you don't want to travel these days, that's totally cool. But plan the days off months in advance, put it on your calendar, block it out, and then look forward to it just like you would any other vacation, even though you have nothing to do. That's totally cool, too.
0: Yeah, Exactly. Exactly.
1: Love it. So, you know, bringing those leadership principles of identifying bottlenecks, being aware of the environment, coming up with new solutions, applying, learning something and then changing it for the future, I think is absolutely fantastic. It's really great example that you shared there on the mental health side and just how big of a result you can get with that 80 percent, you know, fewer bugs immediately after because people are in a better space. As you are, you know, senior director running your team, looking to either, you know, as the company grows and as your organization grows, I'm curious for the most important leadership qualities and characteristics that you look for in either individuals that you're going to grow up into a leadership position within your company, or maybe perhaps somebody you're going to bring in outside to run a team or run a function. What are some of the most important leadership characteristics or qualities that
0: you look for? Okay, so first off, uh, the obvious is technical proficiency, and then this one this one kind of comes in different flavors. Some developers are more people person, people, and they can they, they interact well with others. They're just naturally more communicative. That's something I kind of look for. I also, you know, sometimes the if somebody's very organized and they're maybe not keeping track of other teams, but they're listening to, you know, indicators from, you know, other meetings with other teams, and then they're interested in how their work is progressing. And once they start kind of taking that initiative to like, well, I I build, you know, widget X, Y, Z, but it's really based on, you know, somebody else doing ABC first. And how do I incorporate that into my development process? Once people like naturally kind of find those two fits, that's when I start really thinking, okay, that person's ready to, for more coaching. Let's have more career discussions. Let's have, you know, what do you, what do you want to do with your career? How do you want to grow? And I make sure the person's on board because some people don't want to go into management. Like they just, they, they want to stay on the technical side or they want to stay you know they don't want to do one-on-ones and you know all all the HR stuff that goes along with management they don't want to deal with people problems so eh, you know so you, for you know you got to get their their temperature on the, that as well but once you know those align you know the the person wants to move on or move up and wants to take on more responsibility then then we start coaching I'm never really sure when somebody's going to quit like it generally happens somebody you know, one time I got a, a four week heads up and that was like the most time I've ever been given.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Generally, you get about, a, you know, one to two weeks, especially in this market. Right. Like,
1: yeah. It's very competitive. <laughs> agree. agree.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you might get a couple weeks. So you never know when one of your team leads is going to leave. So you always kind of have a couple people building their skills up in anticipation that they will take over a role or, you know, your team structure will be growing dynamic enough that you can actually break your current team up into a couple pieces. Once a team gets to over 10 people, I try to start dividing it. I don't like teams more than about eight people deep. You just lose so many communication pieces. You spend a lot of time dealing with things you don't need to do. So sometimes I can, you know, use that, those those time periods to slide somebody up into a team lead. New products are, are very easy. Those are all, you know, you know our, our product team is... Uh, pretty proficient at giving us timelines of new products, so I can also help you know you know find some people, to start mentoring, and then then kind of move them through the ranks, and hopefully be kind of somewhat aligned with where our product roadmap looks.
1: Absolutely, and I love what you said there about you know the identification of the individuals if it's going to be from internal, and then the you know kind of the growth and the coaching and the mentoring that goes along with that, but always having a little bit of a you didn't say the word, but I kind of picked up on it and tell me if I'm accurate, a contingency plan for those situations where someone does deliver a resignation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't like to call it contingency plans, but yeah, it's, it's, it's more or less a contingency plan. (laughs) I like to be a little more optimistic than that, but fair enough. Fair enough.
1: What's a, what's a word, what's a word that you would use outside of contingency plan that kind of represent that essence? We'll have to come back to that. Uh, Okay. uh, My my go-to plan. My my plan being something like that. Cool. Fair enough. I want to come back real quick to the one-on-one meetings that you mentioned earlier. You said there's one very important question that gets asked in every single one-on-one meeting about the biggest pain point that the individual had experienced. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how did that one question become so important in your
0: one-on-one meetings? Yeah, because it serves two purposes, right? Because a pain point isn't definitively a technical problem. Is it not definitively a personnel problem or a corporate problem? It can be anything. So you can get a heads or a read on a, a lot of different types of problems that are coming up. Most of the time in engineering, it's a technical problem. But oftentimes, you'll have sub problems like, you know, something in the company's bugging me. You know, maybe the CEO said something that was confusing. We have all hands that are very very transparent they're to me a little too transparent because it causes a lot more questions that I have to then answer but it's they're very transparent. It gives us a good you know way to read on how those meetings went, how the messages that we you know were wanting to get across got across. It gives us feedback on those kind of events it also gives us feedback into fundraising, even like you know where are we at on fundraising it's a it's a pain that i'm 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 not really sure what my options are worth. or I'm not really sure what our expected exit, what, you know, any of those type of things that come up in a startup, and it gives you the opportunity to get ahead of the game, get ahead of that, that problem.
1: Love it. That is an incredibly powerful question. Love that you included it in there. I think it's a great one that anybody who's not asking that today, regardless of level, start asking that question. What's the single biggest pain point that you've experienced in the last whatever time it's been since you talked to them previously?
0: It's great you'll get a lot of varied results and as i said like you get in an engineering work they're mostly engineering center but it gives you so much insight to how people are thinking what they're thinking about and if that person's thinking about it there's 10 others
1: yeah exactly everybody else is.
0: yeah it, it gives you a read on how other things are going
1: love it awesome great advice there all right so last question here if you imagine for a moment that you could go back in time And sit down with yourself when that your manager left at that first organization where you mentioned you got into the leadership position, didn't exactly plan it, but it happened. And you knew everything you know today, but you could go back in time, sit down with yourself and have a conversation, share some advice with yourself. What advice
0: would you give to your younger self? Focus on what you want to do and don't waste your time doing like a lot of periphery activities. The quicker you can make that decision, the better. There's a lot of advice you can give yourself, right? Like twenty-twenty hindsight's pretty pretty potent.
1: That's why I love this question, because you know, how often do we think about our younger self. And, you know, in an environment like this, where we're having a conversation and, you know, thousands of people get to listen into this, they get to hear this advice and causes a little different thought process on their side too, which is wonderful. I think it's great reflection to learn from your 2020 and how clear it is and something that might be important for them to consider.
0: It always goes back to make up your mind what you want to do. And if it changes, that's great. Don't worry about it. But, a lot of times we let a lot of distractions and, and, and I'm taking a purely professional experience, not like, OK, I have this hobby. Enjoy your hobbies. That's great. Just from a, a pure technical and career development, you'll you'll get distracted a million ways. And you'll have product teams trying to push product that you don't necessarily think is important. And you'll have to come to consensus with those teams. But make sure you're spending your time solving the hard problems make sure you're spending the time solving the correct problems i mean you constantly hear of startups pivoting you have to carry that same concept in with your career you you have to spend the time in you know developing the you know when mobile came along i spent a lot of time working on mobile after a couple years you know everybody understood mobile so now it's time to do something else right like um, spend your time honing those skills Try not to get distracted with, I mean, there's gonna be a whole gazillion fad things out there. Try not to to waste your time with the, the fads.
1: Love it. Make up your mind, solve the hard problems, the correct problems, focus. Don't focus. waste your time. It's
0: always focus. Always focus. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you see younger people, they just like, they wanna focus on everything and it's just, it's just not possible. It's just like, be good at a few things and then grow your career horizontally don't don't try to do everything all at once it just it never gets you very far wonderful advice
1: all right eric that was awesome thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience and your expertise with us appreciate it very much and look forward to hearing about all the incredible things that you and your team are going to do we'll have a full link to your linkedin profile and company link in the show notes so be sure to check that out but thanks so much for spending some time with me today and take care i'll talk to you soon
0: all right. Awesome. Thanks again for having
1: me. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at B2BLeadershipPodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.